Welcome to Serviced Accommodation Secrets with me, Sally Kemba. This is the podcast where you get the on the ground experience that we're living and breathing with our serviced accommodation units. So you get to share our hacks and tips, our mistakes, so you can learn from those and thrive on our success. So welcome everybody to this episode of Service Accommodation Secrets, also live. The 100th episode, and very excitingly, is with the awesome businesswoman, Nisha, or Manisha, should I say, from KVM Service Accommodation. It's my absolute privilege to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, especially when it's 100. You know, well done to you. That's amazing. (laughs) Time flies. When you're having fun, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So it's great to have you here. And I know you've had a lot going on in your life lately. But what I really wanted to start with, because, you know, this is all about helping current FA operators and people who are perhaps thinking of starting, even though it's lockdown, you know, lots of opportunities. So you started your SA business about four years ago and property five years ago or so. But what was it really, Anisha, that made you start in the first place gosh okay so um we're going back about five years ago and uh, i had my daughter and uh, i was really happy because um i was enjoying what i was doing at work i was um i was married um, everything was fine but then i realized i actually traded a lot of my time for money I was working long hours. I was commuting about three hours a day, if not more, sometime. And uh, it really hit me when she started going to the nursery, and then she had to be there from about seven thirty to six o'clock. And then I realised I couldn't do this anymore. It was unfair on her. I, I, I was not seeing her that much. I wasn't seeing her growing up. So I, I knew I needed to change, and I needed to do something different. Um, then my husband suggested property because I love watching Home Under the Hammer, which a lot of people do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, what, what can I do? And then I started looking into property, eventually found my way um, into service accommodation. And I absolutely love it. And that's what I've been doing for the last four years as such. Awesome. So when you started out, I know you had training because that's where we met at Progressive, but was it essay in the beginning or did you try other things out? How did it work out? Uh, Well, when I started five years ago looking into property, um, service accommodation, uh, although was known, but not necessarily in terms of the training itself was very known at that point. And um, when I started looking out, um, funny enough, I am in Peterborough and Progressive is very close to me, but I didn't actually know about Progressive. So I found a training provider, which was in London, end up um, signing up and doing a course uh, because I was new to property. I didn't know how to invest in property. I didn't know where to start. But I think for me, the, the challenge was also, I was working somewhere else. I was kind of rooted in doing it for nearly 10 years and I knew what I was doing. So doing something completely different was always going to be a challenge for me. So I thought, do you know what? I need to learn. I need to understand this uh, in order to get it right. But also because I wanted it, I wanted to be successful. Uh, I wanted to be able to leave my job. So it was not trying something and see how it works. It was pretty much, 
I need to get it right um, in order to leave my job. Um, so looked into property and um, I found that training provider that uh, um, I started, signed up for, did the whole package and started doing many different strategy. Um, you know, just trying to find out what I really like. So I did, um, I did the whole package to try and understand the different strategy and which one we were going to go for. And, in, uh, and I decided to, do, to go for HMO just because I needed it to be close to me. Um, had, you know, having a, a younger uh, baby, I didn't want to travel too much. So I thought I'll have to make it work around me. What could work around me? And HMO was one of the popular strategies that I could actually do. Um, so I thought, okay, great. We'll start with uh, HMO itself. Uh, did the training, did the one-to-one mentoring, um, but I really struggled because for me it was different. Going into property was completely different to what I was used to, to completely different to what I was doing. So for example, um, you know, one of the things that I always say, networking was a major challenge for me. I was not used to just go in and start a conversation where people are already talking and just basically interrupt the conversation that was not allowed in a corporate world, you know, until it's your time to talk or um, you're with the right person. You just don't go in and barge in and start talking about what you're doing. Um, so for me, it was a real challenge and uh, I really struggled with that. And I think that was one of the reasons why I couldn't really... Um, I couldn't really get myself to raise any finance because I was not feeling confident. I don't think I was projecting enough confidence to anybody that I was talking about what I was doing. Um, but also I was feeling, why would somebody want to invest um, with me where I've got zero knowledge in property? And, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been in a training provider, you know, training industry, and I'm doing something completely different. Yeah. Uh, what would somebody believe that, you know, you can change something from, it for 10 years and go into something new and be able to invest with you straight away. So I always felt I needed to prove myself first in order to kind of get that credibility. Um, so I struggled with that for a while and um, I was really disappointed when I finished my six month mentoring and I have not really achieved what I set for in terms of at least having two properties on an HMO at that point. Um, so I was very disappointed and I kind of uh, took a break from property for a little bit and then looked at uh, what should I do next and uh, came across Progressive. Uh, and then I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's have a go and see what happened. I was, and they were very... right on your doorstep as well, Nisha. So really? you didn't need, to worry. <laughs> didn't need to go to London and all that hassle you had exactly. before. <laughs> <laughs> spend time, money on traveling to London and, you know, spending three days in London, three, four days in London. Um, but I was quite, uh, I was quite uh, surprised with, um, the community in progressive and how people were so helpful and willing to help and you know willing to listen to you and um, support you if you need to so that was kind of good and then that made me realize you know what I've had a bad experience but it doesn't mean that you know it's, it's gonna be like that forever or it's like that with property so then I joined in and then I found service accommodation uh, now, I love the idea of taking in an ugly property and making it look nice and service accommodation. Oh, my God, you can make property look really nice. Yeah, and they stay nice as well, don't they? They don't look yeah. nice and then get trashed again. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, so it was really nice to be able to do that. So um, then I went into service accommodation, but also I think 
initial reason why I wanted to do it. At that point, I was getting quite desperate to leave my job because right. I was feeling it more and more that, you know, I'm not spending enough time with my daughter. And, yeah. you know, she was in the nursery for a couple of months now. And, um, you know, it, it was really annoying me that I couldn't find that right balance. So for me, if I could have found the right balance, I think I would still work. Um, yeah. But leaving in Peterborough and having to travel to London every day, you know, there was already three hours that I was losing, four hours a day that I couldn't, no matter what I wanted to do, I couldn't really, you know, find a solution for that. Yeah, so, a long time, yeah. It? Was it quite a high pressure job? Did you have a responsible yeah. position? Yes. Um, so I was either the director or I would be doing a very similar role within a new company. So we would take new acquisition and I would travel into a different area. So at some point I was working in Birmingham, at some point I was working in Manchester, in London. So it was, it was quite pressurised, but also because there were usually um, colleges that we've taken over and there's a lot of challenges with taking over a new college. Um, so you have to go over the whole structure, look at implementing best practice from the head office into the new one. So it was quite challenging. And um, I think that's where, you know, you don't have a lot of time to network and you don't really learn the whole networking <laughs> skill that you need when you go into property. But, you know, it, it was good. I can't complain. It was really good. Well, I think probably you have a lot of transferable skills because you've come from a corporate world, you're a leader. Um, you're very good at communication, communicating in a business kind of way. Um, even if you were nervous about networking, I think probably you found skills. Lots of other people who are in a job probably have lots of skills they can apply to their SA businesses. You know what? This is quite interesting. Um, yes, the answer is yes. Because I think one of the things that I'm always grateful to my previous company is the fact that I was given the opportunity to... Uh, be put in different role in different situations. So I was not in one job and doing one thing all the time. Uh, with every new colleges that I was going to, it was kind of a new challenge. So um, one thing that I'm grateful for is the opportunity to be able to deal with so many challenges on an ongoing basis that taking on essay, as you may know, it comes with its challenges. I was not, I was not affected so much because it was just, it's normal. It's what I've been doing. So I was, it wasn't, it wasn't going to get on top of me when, you know, we have some challenges with the keeping loss or the guests not turning out. Or so, so many complications to do with service accommodation. For me, it was just, it's fine. Let's just find a solution and move on with it. So I think that was really good. But I think there's an interesting point there because, so for example, um, when I meet a lot of mum, when when they come to the, the place or I talk to a lot of people when they, their mum and they're looking after kids and they're not working, they always think to, seem to think that I don't have enough skill to be able to go into business or to go into service accommodation. But the fact is all of us have transferable skill, whether you're working, you're not working, you're household, um, you know, uh, housewife and you're at home, you still have transferable skills. So for example, um, if you're a mom and you've got two kids, you have to make sure you're dropping them to school. I've learned the hard way, obviously. I've got another one now. So dropping them to school, picking them to school, taking them after classes, it's a lot of thing to manage. Now, people going to work, they get to work and they only focus on one thing and they're at work and they're doing that. They're not in and out of the house. They're not managing uh, one child and then another child in a different place. So the skill that you acquired by just being a mom and running around is amazing. And you can apply that to service. Yeah. 
a lot. And I think there's just, you know, people just underestimate the fact that, you know, as a mom, non-working mom, the amount of thing that you have to do in a day, um, you know, I mean, that's what I'm kind of experiencing at the moment. I feel like I'm a mom at home now more than a businesswoman. Um, but you just have to, to be able to manage everything. And I think there's a lot of skill there in terms of time management, but dealing with challenges, dealing with a kid crying, but then having to answer the phone or having to go somewhere yeah. else, you know, planning your day, where you're going to feed the baby, when you're going to change the baby to be able to, to meet uh, the deadline of dropping your child at that time or, you know, collecting your child at that yeah. time. So, yeah. yeah, so I think all of us got transferable skill for sure. Definitely, definitely. So we're, we're live at the moment and we'll be live for another sort of five minutes. I wanted to ask you, which I know everyone on the live will be interested in, is really once you start um, in SA, would you suggest to people there's a fixed amount of time they should allow before leaving their job? What was it like for you? So what was your goal and how long did it take for you to reach it? Okay, so um, when people go into essay, I always say, um, even when I'm talking to my mentor, is to have a plan on what you want to achieve first and then plan it out of how long it's going to take or what you need to do in order to be able to achieve it. So, for example, in my case, when I started, um, I wanted to leave my job. So I was very clear that I wanted to do it in the next six months because I wasted almost about nine to 12 months uh, we're looking at HMO, we're looking at other stuff. So when I planned to go into SA, I wanted it, uh, I wanted it to be able to, to leave my job in six months' time. So the way I looked at it is, okay, how much do I want to achieve? Realistically, how much can you make every month per property every month? So I looked at that and I knew it would be anything between, uh, well, at that time, five years ago or four years ago, when I was looking at it, it was about £1,000 easily in my area. So I worked it on the basis that I needed um, £1,000 per property. So I wanted to get free property. And uh, the way I worked it out is, okay, how many viewing can I do? And I said, roughly six months, I'll be able to do it. Now, each of us are different. We have different time to be able to view property and sometimes very limited time to be able to view property. And it also on the skill, negotiation skills. So sometimes it'll take you longer. But as a, uh, as you start doing the viewing, you'll be able to identify your pattern. So how many properties do you need to view in order for you to be able to close down and, and, and be able to get it for an essay? Yeah. So if you identify how, how many it takes you, then you can build in how long it's going to take you to achieve your goal. So for me, I replaced my income in six months time and I was able to resign from my job. Um, but um, although I did it, I was all, all congratulations. Thank you. Um, but it didn't feel like that because, you know, you, you still, I was working. Obviously, there's that business that was working really well, achieving what we wanted to. Obviously, we were reinvesting everything that we were earning. But it was always that little bit of scared. There's no guarantee. So I didn't want to leave my job just yet. So I was like, one more property, one more property. So eventually I did leave my job, but I kind of waited a little bit longer just to kind of have a bit of more buffer before I actually leave my, my job. But that's pretty sensible, isn't it? Because if you've been in this job a long time, you don't want to just rush um, to leave it, do you? Because you want to make sure it's working well and you know that's really good going though isn't it six months you're replacing three thousand pounds a month is mm -hmm. pretty good going and so you know well done on that but 
can you take us through a little bit on the properties that you took on initially and sort of the mm-hmm. stages you got to to get to that? Sure. So the very first property we took was the two-bedroom apartment. Now, as you know, with service accommodation, depending on what strategy you're doing, you kind of identify what type of property you will go for. So the strategy that we were doing, um, two-bedroom was going to be ideal for us. Uh, we were kind of going to go for the corporate high-end type of guests. So the two-bedroom apartment was really good. So we secured the two-bedroom apartment um, and uh, with that property, we took it in a really nice area, very expensive uh, rent. So we went for the rent to SA strategy, uh, very expensive rent. Um, but we knew because we were targeting the high end, it was fine to, to do that. Um, so we took a two bedroom, we took um, a three bedroom, and then we moved on and tried a four bedroom after that. Uh, because we thought, okay, we'll try and change a little bit and try and target maybe the contractor level as such to so be a more of a mid-range rather than a high-end corporate range. Um, so with the first two bedroom, um, we had to, after after I think two booking, we had somebody who knew the property was quite happy and they were here for about six months, so they were um, interested to stay you know, with us, uh, which was quite interesting for us because that person actually was already in Peterborough and they were with uh, one of the, um, I would say, most probably not the best service accommodation in the area, but they're definitely one of the first service accommodation who set up in the area. And when I started, they were already operating for a couple of years already. So they're very experienced. Um, but I think what made uh, the difference is obviously we had a really good property. That was one thing. Uh, it was a high-end uh, property, so that, that was definitely one thing. But I think it was also the fact that we had a very high level of customer service because we were meeting and greeting the guests. We were welcoming them to the property. We were able to talk to them. We were able to make them feel welcome. And I think that's the reason why we were able to, to get that. And with that property at that point, we achieved, I think it was roughly about... 1300 or 1500 pound profit every single month because they were booking one month at a time and i think the rate was about 120 pound a night or something like that um so yeah it was it was really good so because we were able to forget about that property for six months it was much easier for them for us then to move on to the next property but then we took the next property and again it was a couple of bookings before we ended up getting somebody who was willing to stay for longer initially they stayed a month and then from a month on they just kept booking and booking and they were there for about i think four to five months in the end and again um with the first one obviously we were a bit uh reluctant to kind of put our price up because it was very first property so although we were making a decent amount of money we were a bit reluctant but with the next one we did increase it um, because we knew we had another one so we increased the rate and uh, since then obviously we know how to to put the rate (laughs) oh well that's really cool so basically you had pretty secure bookings for your first two so that made it a bit less stressful and a bit more comfortable and a bit you had a bit more time I guess to set yeah. up the next one or two and then you you decided you could leave um, well I kind of knew but I don't think I wanted to make that decision yet um, you know with service accommodation you're relying on booking and it's not something that you can really control if that makes sense it's always going to be uh, it's not a fixed aspect of your business it's always going to be variable there's always going to be changes that 
some, at some point you're going to have loads of booking at some point you're going to have less booking or there may be a problem with the property and you might need to close down for a couple of days to do things so i always knew because it was a viable factor in the business it's always going to influence how much profit you make and if i'm going to leave my job i wanted to be in a position where i felt secure i felt that i had enough income so for me when when i did my plan and i said you know two free property i'll be happy but i think deep down i was like four five six four, five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was eventually at four um i put in my resignation and i thought no that's fine um I got a little bit of um, help from Paul Smith to be able to kind of direct me into leaving my job. But yes, I eventually did it on Paul. Awesome. Because that was the progressive mastermind, wasn't it? And I think that's where I met you. And then Paul yeah. went on to do his own thing. But yeah, it's all good. So that's great, isn't it? Because I think you were doing better than, well, better than maybe you hoped or could you not quite believe it or what was it were you just nervous really to leave your job in the end yeah I think I think it's just the feeling of security when you're in a job and you know you're going to get paid every single month and if you're in a high highly paid job yeah you're secure so um just being your own boss and doing your own thing is really great but it also come with um you know a little bit of concern what if it doesn't work uh, you know you have a child you still have to look after your child you still yeah. have you're making more commitment you're taking on more uh, properties so it's always a little bit scary that you know what would happen so I think for me it took me a little bit longer to kind of appreciate that Do you know what it's fine you can leave now yeah. and uh, you're making enough money to be able to sustain yourself and you don't have to to worry about having a secure job so yeah it took me a little bit longer <laughs> but that's the advice is it that you'd give somebody if they're in a, a job that they've actually have been doing well at but they just want more time or they're fed up with it or stressed out Do you, is that what you'd advise they make sure they reach their income goal and then a little bit longer what would you say would be the best thing I would say definitely make sure you reach your income goal but also also have a little bit of buffer because in business it's it, there's so many factors that's that's going to actually um determine what you're going to achieve at the end of the month you know your profit rely on so many things that you need to be just a little bit careful and make sure you have enough buffer to cover yourself i mean who knew coronavirus was coming around? Yeah, and quite. We weren't expecting that one. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if you have a bit of buffer and uh, you've been saving that and keeping that on the side, then you're in a better position to be able to feel more comfortable leaving your job and then, you know, focusing on your business. So I think personally, I think even if you've got your goal, always aim to have a little bit buffer to help you. Especially yeah. because um, it's, it's a big change from having a job to running your own business. And you kind of start learning about yourself as well, what you're really good at and what you're rubbish at. Um, that, you know, this is going to impact on a business as well. So you need to kind of factor all that in and give yourself enough time to understand what you really enjoy. Now, a lot of people will, will start and then find it quite challenging and give up. I wouldn't say to give up because I think, People tend to think running your business, you need to have certain skill to be able to do it, uh, or you need to be, you know, uh, born with the skills of, you know, how, knowing how to run a business. But actually, it isn't. It's all about identifying 
what you're really good at that you can carry on doing. And more importantly is identifying what you're not very good at. And if you can accept that, if you can understand that about yourself and get the help, the right help, so there's people there who you can outsource to, who can do a lot of job for you, but you having to learn everything yourself, um, you will be able to run a successful business. Awesome. Completely agree. So we're going to leave the live now. So thanks everybody who's watching the live. And we shall carry on with the interview. The episode will come out on Monday next week. So thanks guys in our community. Thanks everyone. That's a really good point though, isn't it? Because you can only do a certain amount yourself. And I think sometimes people can feel they need to do everything, be good at everything. But with SA, the reason I started the podcast is because when we started it, it was like, all these things we learned all made sense go to put it into practice and it's like oh my goodness there's so much to it isn't there so I think you outsource or at least you have help from VAs and, and would you like to tell us a bit about that who you've got working with you yeah um so when I started um so through my course somebody mentioned about using virtual assistant initially I thought I'm not too sure how I can get a virtual assistant who's abroad to run a service accommodation when you have to be there. But then, honestly, if you think about it, I was working and it was still working. You know, business yeah. was still running. Yeah. You don't have to. So it's all, I think, our own kind of belief, if that makes sense, that we need to overcome to start with. But once you get over the fact that somebody, even in Philippines or anywhere in the world, even in the UK, can actually do work for you without having to be there once you get over that concept and it's much easier to be able to then identify okay what else can i give to somebody else to do rather than me doing it i think the other challenge is um personally if you're like me and you like things to be perfect it's another <laughs> challenge to overcome <laughs> maybe because <laughs> um, you always seem to think that you know you're the only person who can do it as how you want it to be so I've, I've learned from that actually because um when when i started and I, when i was running my business what i realized well when i you know i had my daughter and i had my business and everything and i just realized i couldn't do everything i just literally couldn't do anything everything and i had to accept that even if somebody else is doing it and doing it maybe 80 percent or 90 percent that is giving me a lot more time to be able to focus on other things. And I've had to accept that. I've had to accept that, you know, maybe my cleaners doesn't clean the house the way I want it to be cleaned, but it's giving me two, three, four hours. I mean, you know, the cleaners here for four hours. If I were to clean my house and spend four hours, you know, <laughs> so I have to accept that. You have to accept that. So I think, yes, using virtual assistant is very, very important in any business, not just service accommodation. I think if you can free up your time from doing things that are very repetitive and somebody else can do it, then you have more time to think, uh, to think or to actually work on key revenue areas. So, you know, for example, in service accommodation, if you have more time to be able to build relationship with a company that uh, you're working with, then that's amazing. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I think in service accommodation, it's so important to build relationship um, with company you're working with and be able to sometimes charge a bit more because you can offer such a great service uh, by just being able to build the relationship. So definitely use virtual assistant. I mean, we use it uh, in our business, so we use it for 
uh, our social media side, we use it for our bookkeeping side. So we've got somebody from Kenya who helps us with uh, the bookkeeping side. Uh, who else do we use? So my VA from Philippines help with uh, management of emails, all the other bits, anything that I want her to be able to research and things like that. Um, she monitor the linen count from Philippines. Um, she what else? She manages the stock uh, of um, cleaning stuff um, that we need from Philippines. So you know you can do a lot of things even if somebody is in, in Philippines and not in front of you or in the UK. Uh, apart from that, I do have um, a virtual assistant in the UK. I think it's important to have somebody who can run around a little bit for you, um, especially if you're scaling up and you're having quite a few properties. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, that's good. So you've got a bit of a team there. And um, I'm sure you've needed them recently because you've had some life-changing, well, a life-changing event, haven't you? You had your son a little earlier during lockdown as well, bless you. So congratulations. That's so lovely. And you already have your daughter. So you're a busy family lady, you know, mum and everything. So how is life now compared to when you were working? So you've got your essay business, you've got your kids. I'm sure it's great, but I'm sure it has its challenges. It's amazing, it's amazing um, because I get to spend time with my daughter. I get to spend so much time with my baby. It is absolutely amazing. Um, when I was working, I didn't have enough time, but I just can't imagine how I was going to manage to have my daughter going to school, but also look after a baby if I was working at this point. But I think it's, it's, it's really nice to be in a position where you have the flexibility of deciding when you need to work. So, for example, at the moment, I'm doing about an hour a day uh, or sometimes not every day as well. Uh, definitely not the weekend. I try not to do anything over the weekend because it's time for my daughter because she's during, uh, during the day she's at school and I've got the little baby as well. Um, but just having the flexibility to be able to um, decide when you're going to work is, yeah. is amazing. It's amazing because that means, you know, I can I can look after my baby. So I'm thinking now, do I get a nanny to be able to look after the baby? Because last year I had one while I was working and working from home a little bit. So I had somebody looking after the baby while I was working. Um, but this time around, I didn't have to because I know that I can fix uh, fit um, some of the work around the baby. So, you know, it's, it's just having that flexibility. It's amazing. But, you know, for me, more importantly, I think when, uh, when we started looking for school for my daughter, um, I said to my husband, why don't we put her in a private school? And he was like, well, really? Are you sure about that? He was not too keen about the idea. And I said, well, I want to be able to give her the best. And, you know, and I feel that, that that's very important for her to be able to go into a private school. And obviously with the business doing really well, that was something that we could afford. Now, maybe, yes, I would have been able to do it when I was working, but it's, 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 a, it's a different thing. When you're working, I've noticed when I was working, although I was earning quite a good amount of money, I was in a really good salary, the challenge was you have to pay for a lifestyle when you're working. You have to pay for all your corporate clothes that you're going to wear for work. Uh, you know, your nice bag, your nice shoes, uh, you know, it's it just, it, it, it just become a lifestyle where you're spending, a, you're getting a lot of money, but you're spending a lot of money. Now, I work from home, who cares if I'm in my pajamas or, you know, I'm not wearing something 
you know, nobody can see. I'm just working from home. So actually, suddenly we're making more money, but you actually have less expenses. So that's amazing. Um, but yeah, being able to send her to a private school had been pretty much amazing for me. I feel like I'm a mom. I've achieved so much by just being able to offer her that option. But just more recently, I was talking um, to one of my staff and she was telling me that um, some of the school actually currently are opening only once a week for children because of obviously the numbers. They can't um, ensure social distancing. So they're having to reduce the number of students coming to the school. Um, and, and it was interesting. And then I thought, wow, well, we're very lucky because, you know, um, she's able to go to school every single day and it's not affecting her education as much as maybe some of the kids who are having to just go once a week and do everything else from home and, you yeah. know, having a lot of support. So, you know, I'm really gra- grateful the fact that my business has allowed me to be able to afford that. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. You should be really proud. And I think um, you've always inspired me. I know lots of people in the FA community because you really are a great example of a successful businesswoman and, is that part of your goals to really inspire people to show you can have the work home life balance and um you know you you don't have to just do one or the other Mm -hmm. and um you know for example you can send your daughter to private school and you can be there for your son and you know you've still got this really successful business even in lockdown so it is a very interesting question because um before going, uh, well, before having my baby, I really uh, kind of planned things around and said, okay, I'm going to hire an office manager. The office manager will pretty much take everything and I'll have a couple of months when I'm not going to think about the business at all. And um, I'm not going to do much in the business uh, and just look after the baby. And um, I said to myself, you know, um, I, I, I did all this for my family. So, you know, that's the right thing to do, to be able, when you can afford to not be there, you you know, I cannot be there, so it's fine. But you know what? Um, I'm still a human being and I still have feelings and I still have desire. And then I started feeling a little bit, um, but I don't want to be sick at home and not looking after my <laughs> It was like that internal challenge all the time. And I'm like, I should be grateful, you know, I should be grateful that I can do this and not moan about it. But then deep down, I started feeling, well, you know, I should do more for my business. There's lockdown, there's so many challenges and I'm not giving enough time. I should be doing more. Um, So it's interesting what you said in terms of, you know, if I want to inspire and help others. I think myself, I was challenging, uh, I was put in a very challenging position when, when, you know, I I was at home and not working and I realized, no, I wanted to to carry on being a businesswoman and do uh, work on my business. Um, But it was more interesting when I started helping others and I could see them achieve what I've been able to do, but see them being able to leave their job and spend more time with their family. And it's, it's, it's amazing when you can help somebody else believe in themselves because a lot of people don't believe they can do it. Um, so when, when you help them a little bit and then you just see them, you know, going out there and doing amazing things, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm sure you know the feeling. <laughs> I do. And you can feel torn. I mean, my girls, well, my kids are bigger now, so 20 and 21, but I know when they were younger and I've always done all sorts of things. I'm, not really employable because I'm an artist and a, <laughs> as well as essay. Um, so yeah, but work you tend to feel torn between things, don't you? You think, oh, I should be doing this. I can't want to do this, but I love being there for my kids. And 
so it is wonderful to be there but I can understand completely but yeah it's the, the self-belief but also just following the process having faith in it when you're learning how to do it isn't it it's really key as well yeah I think I think one other thing that I've learned in business is that anything is achievable if you know what you want and you've got a clear plan of how you're going to make it happen because I think a lot of people they know what they want but they never plan the way to, to be able to achieve it. Yeah. So I always say, for example, when I'm mentoring, I, I always say to my mentee, think about what you want first, and then you need to forget that. Because what you need to focus on is what you're going to do between now and where you want to be. So let's say somebody says to me, okay, I want to be able to get six property by month, I don't know, six month time. But that's your goal. Now, we need to forget about that. What we need to focus on is what you're going to do every single day, every single week, every single month to be able to achieve that goal. And that is what you need to focus on. So I think in business as well, it's the same thing. In general, you just need to know what you want and how you're going to do it. If you focus on the how you're going to do it and implement it, as long as you're implementing it and not just kind of wishing for it to happen, um, it will happen. So I think that's one way that you can ensure that you're successful in whatever you do. And that doesn't have to be business, that could be any personal goal as well. Yeah, definitely, weekly goals, we have that in my mastermind and mentoring, because it's what you do regularly, even if it's small amounts regularly, it compounds, doesn't it, and counts towards everything you do. So yeah, I completely agree. It's fascinating though, because some people, they just think someday I'll do this, but don't actually, do the bit in between <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. And I think there's another learning point from that as well where I started my journey what I was stumbling with I wanted everything to be perfect perfectionist person comes in uh, to be able to start and I remember at some point one of my mentors said to me if you were to cross the road let's assume there's about four roads that you need to cross and there's the traffic light on each of them how long are you going to wait for all of them to be green before you get to the end of the fourth one? Like, that's possible. And he said to me, but that's what you do. And, you know, when you're looking at the, the, uh, let's say you want this property, you want this to be perfect, you want that, you want that, you want to be able to get that. But actually, it's just doing one thing at, the, at a time. So you cross the first road when it's green, and then you just wait and wait until the next one becomes green, and then you cross. And I think that's a really good point. And it really made me think. And I think that's where I started, you know, learning to, to take a little bit more challenge um, outside my comfort zone of being so perfectionist and waiting for everything to be correct or right in order to move forward. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was a really good learning point for me. And I think a lot of people have the same feeling when, when they're looking at business, they're looking for the right opportunity, the right amount of money. Um, they, you know, they're looking for so many things that they want to achieve in order to start. But actually, it's just starting with doing a little bit at a time and just carry on improving as you go along. Yeah, that's your role more start now, get perfect later mentality. So maybe it might have been him because I know you've had mentoring from Rob. You've done that, haven't you? So you take mentoring very seriously because um, that helps you enable um, your goals to actually come to life. And I know you've done a lot more, so uh, I don't know if you've got any pearls of wisdom to share from um, what he's helped you with. Do you know what? The fact is, um, not, 
as a person, you don't necessarily need mentoring to achieve anything. But the reality is, as a human being, you need support, you need accountability. So I always value having mentoring because you go through phases. Sometimes you're doing really well and you're quite happy. And then sometimes things become quite difficult. And that's when you need your mentor more than anything else to be able to pick you up and say, well, it's okay. But for now on, let's do this, 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 this. So for me, having a mentor is very important in my life. And I know a lot of people look at it and say, well, do you know what? I can do it without mentoring. Yes, you could possibly, you know, um, but you might make mistake. That's going to take you a long time to recover or decide I'm not going to do this anymore because I've, I've basically made a loss out of this or you're going to lose a lot more money than, you know, you, you would if somebody else tell you, well, do it this way, don't do it that way. Because if you do that, you're going to lose £2,000. But if you do it this way, you know, you're going to make that profit. Whatever you're losing is overall less profit for you. So I think having a mentor who can guide you, who's been there, who's done it, is very useful because they can tell you what to do and what not to do. So for example, if I was waiting for all the four traffic lights to go green, I could have still been waiting. You'd still be there now. <laughs> So it's important to have a mentor to kind of help you um, just to kind of avoid some costly mistake, um, but also pick you up when uh, um, you're, you're feeling really down and uh, you're not too sure what to do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's important to have a mentor, but also be accountable because it's very easy to get distracted with many things that goes on in your life. And, you know, as, as good as human being you can be, and we know we are very dedicated, um, things happen, you know, somebody's going to be ill, your kid's going to be ill, um, there's wedding, there's so many things that could happen that will distract you. But when you know you're accountable to that person, you know that that person's going to ask you, have you done this, this, this? Like, no. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have lunch with my mentor. I would plan what I was going to do. So I didn't wait for the lunch to actually talk about what I needed to do. I already started thinking about business saying, okay, I need to do this and I need to do this. So this is just the accountability. I don't, I've not even had the lunch, but I've already planned because it's just the feeling of accountability that I need to get myself up to that point. So what can I do? And I think that's why it's so important to have a mentor and somebody just hold you accountable for what you're doing. It really helps your internal motivation as well, doesn't it? That drive. You don't want to let them down. You can't possibly go there without anything to show. (laughs) (laughs) And so, of course, we're in lockdown still. So another question I really wanted to ask you is, um, you know, it's been challenging during lockdown, but also potentially quite lucrative. You know, we've had some great guests, but also some things that a bit challenging to manage. So what lessons have you really learned during lockdown with your properties and, you know, things that you can perhaps integrate into your business moving forward or share with everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, so before we actually had the lockdown, I started planning a little bit for it. Um, so we started looking at what we could do and I started doing some live about it as well, what we could do, what could, what could happen and what we could do. So that kind of helped us. And I think... Uh, one thing I wanted to share, because I noticed there was a lot of people who were not planning for it, is to talk, always plan for the worst. Um, don't expect it to happen, but just plan for it. You know, we, 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 ex- we expect things to be positive, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan for it to be completely negative. Yeah. So 
planning is very important. And if you plan, then you're, you're more in control and you don't feel like, oh my God, what's happening to my business? What am I going to do now? I don't know what I'm doing. But when you know, when you're planning and you can see exactly what you're doing, it just makes you feel more comfortable. So for example, one of the things that we did during the lockdown was, okay, let's look at all the costs and let's look at what we can cut down immediately or what we could cut down if we get to a position where, you know, um, we're not getting enough booking. And we even plan, okay, what are the properties that we're going to let go if we need to? We, we already plan, okay, contractually, what are the properties that will give us an opportunity to let go of them if we get to the situation where we can afford it. But also, one of the things that I learned was to always have a backup. And that's why I say, you know, don't leave your job straight away. Yeah. We had a backup fund. We, t- we had a contingency plan fund, which was there if things go wrong in general. Not Obviously, we didn't know about coronavirus, but that was there if yeah. anything goes wrong because things, things can go wrong in business. And that was really, really good because when everybody was kind of hiking, worrying and everything else, I knew, okay, if it gets really bad, I've got that contingency plan there and I've got that contingency fund that I can use to still survive for a bit until we know exactly what was happening. So I think as a business owner, uh, we'd like to reinvest, we'd like to take new opportunity, we, we like to take a bit of risk. But I think one of the things that I've learned is the fact that that fund was there was a really good thing because it, it really help me not to worry too much, not to stress out too much. So still be able to be quite effective uh, during the lockdown. Um, so any business person out there, not just property, I would say very important for you to ensure that uh, you have got a contingency plan, but you also have a contingency fund for the plan if anything goes wrong. Sure. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And did you find that with the types of guests that you normally have, you actually had quite good occupancy and revenue through lockdown? Um, for us, it was quite strange. During the lockdown, we still had some company because obviously they were key worker. Um, but also we had some company who already booked for ride for a couple of months. So they didn't really say, okay, we want a refund straight away or anything like that. They just said, we'll need to find out. So we might not be there next week, um, but can you please leave the booking in? So actually we do not too affected as such. And we did actually, during the lockdown, we did quite well compared to some other month. Um, but it was after the lockdown when the contract we had, we've, uh, some of the companies we've been working for a couple of months, when they left, that's when we felt a little bit more because okay. at that point, because we block our calendar for so many months, uh, that meant that our listing had dropped on the OTAs. And um, as you know, it takes quite a while for it to build up again. And because we had the property booked out for quite a long time, so for example, we throughout the lockdown and even after the lockdown, we had um, we had three staff to start with and eventually down to one who were from um, the Chinese embassy uh, who was uh, in China and who were working in China, but they had to come back because of the lockdown situation. Oh, yeah. And um, with them coming back, um, they stayed with us for quite a few months. And uh, at that point, we were charging them 130, 140, 120 nightly rate. Um, so that was really good. So although we had some property that were empty, but we were making enough money on the bigger ones to be able to kind of compensate for that. So that was really good. But also, I think you need to start becoming a little bit more creative and, and plan and, and then look at opportunities as well. So 
a few things that we did, for example, uh, where we had a block of flat with a couple of properties, we started listing them as the total number and then put in the description that, yes, we can accommodate 20 people, but they're going to be in different flats, for example. Right. Sure. So, um, so just be a little bit more creative with your listing and see what else can you offer. Um, you know, we, we, with the guest hub we had, again, we put it as one. So we offered it as one as a whole. Yeah. Um, what else did we do? We did a few tweaking around our listing to try and see if we can get more um, booking for a different type of guest, not just our standard type of guest. Yeah. But the, yeah. you know what? I'm still trying to understand what has changed and what's the new pattern. And I still can't get my head around it still because it keeps changing during the lockdown, uh, after the lockdown, and now it just changes. So we went through a stage where we had all our bigger property being booked to um, now all the smaller one being booked. So <laughs> yeah. I blame the rule of six. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we just have to keep monitoring it. I mean, what? how do you see it moving forward and you know, coming out of lockdown? What do you think we're really be key things for us all to keep an eye on or I think on if you service accommodation at the moment I would definitely say look at option of trying to maximize on your listing by trying to target a different um, audience so for example one of the things that I always teach is focus on your audience and only target your audience so for example if you're going for the contract uh, contract market you don't have to have a nice property. You don't have to have all the fluff around your property because you're working on the contractor market and that's what it is. But because of the lockdown situation, what I would say is look at that property again. What could you add to the property that doesn't cost a lot but still could target maybe slightly different type of guests? Yeah. So where we've been saying all along, just focus on your target audience. Don't overspend money. Just spend money for your target audience. Now we're saying, okay, we don't know exactly how things are going to be. So what else could you do? Could you make the property look a little bit better? So even though you're in an area where there's business travelers, so instead of just being contractors, could you get corporate clients yeah. instead? Because you've kind of upgraded your property a little bit. Um, could you, so if you've got big properties, could you look at um, adding extra facility with the big property so you can start targeting people who want to travel for holiday, for example. Mm. Uh, things that you could do, make it look more homely, make it look more special with additional decorations. So at least it looks more like a holiday let as such. Um, but with that, there's a few more things you need to, do to make sure it's up to the standard. But you could look at, could you add some activity in the property? Because obviously being in the UK, you can't go to the beach just, you know, in five minutes. It was very cool. <laughs> um, so you need to look at what could you put in the property that's going to allow them to be able to, to spend more time. Could you put a pool table? Um, could you put some other sort of activities there? So at yeah. least they feel like they can come and spend some time together. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I think that's awesome. I mean, it's certainly been a challenging time, but you've been doing really well quite a number of properties in your guest house so that's brilliant so i'm sure you'll keep doing well we've got a couple of questions from our whatsapp community as well and yes. um, so let's just find those so i think it was maria said i was told once that you should start with high prices for your nightly rates because taking them down is um, easier than putting them up do you agree and what's your advice 
on putting prices up if you haven't started high. So how should it be done, Nisha? Okay. Um, it's an interesting one because uh, I always talk about the fact that when you have your rate, um, you should be ideally within the top range of the market in terms of your range, uh, a rate. So, for example, let's say in an area, um, the average is about 80, the lowest point is about 60, and your highest is about 90. You should aim to stay within the, sorry, 100, between the 100 and the 80. That's where you should be. You should never go below the average because what you're doing is, is you actually getting others to bring the rate down because they're going to want to compete against you. They'll bring their rate down. And slowly and slowly, what you're doing is reducing the overall rate in the area. That's what's happening. But I didn't really want to stay on the top. But also, there's different reasons for that. So, for example, if you are in a travel market, a business traveler's market, if you're on average, for example, you're going to get a lot of small booking. That's going to block your calendar. Ideally, you want to position yourself a little bit higher so your calendar is not booked up with loads of little bookings so you can take those big bookings when they come along. So it's important to be able to kind of set yourself between the 90 and the 80, right? Now, going back to what you're saying, um, going up and then reducing the rate. Now, I personally, um, if, if this is a question where you're negotiating the rate with, let's say, a new client, uh, a new company, I personally don't start higher or low. I understand what is their budget and what they are able to pay and then decide how much I'm going to charge them. Um, so, for example, we all know that we'll give discount. Um, but at some point, we had a company where we were charging 120 for two people, 130 for three people, 140 for four people. And that was 30 days a week. And we stuck to that. Uh, we could have given a lot more discount than that. But there was no need. They had a very high budget. They expected quality, so we make sure we had the quality that they expected. Yeah. Um, and also, we took a big headache from them because we said, we'll cater for all your demand. Just let us know what you need and we'll do the rest. So actually, we were charging for a service there rather than just the accommodation. And that was yeah. what the rate was. So it's important to to be able to get comfortable with talking to them and identifying what are their budget. Because normally the first question you'll ask them is what your budget, but a lot of people would not tell you what their budget is. No. They know what it is. So you need to get comfortable and also get to know how can you ask other questions to identify yeah. what budget could they be on so that you can then be able to offer them the rate that you think will be good for them. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense find out what they need and yeah just get in a conversation isn't it really I guess and, and yeah. what you can solve for them how you can help them awesome and the next one is how and where to start start with outsourcing mm -hmm. how many properties do you think make a viable income to start to be able to spend on outsourcing or should you outsource from the start well wow, that's not one question that's like I know I'm so sorry <laughs> No, that's fine. Just remind me if I've missed any point there. That's all right. Um, I think the first one was when do you start outsourcing? Now, if you're running SA just to have an additional income. So I know people who will run SA, but they just do one property and it's just an additional income. And they're quite happy doing that. Um, they do the whole management of it. They, some of them even do the cleaning for, for the property because they just enjoy it. 
Um, if that's what you're doing, then maybe outsourcing is not something that you want to look at because you know, you're quite content, you're quite happy with that. But if you're looking at service accommodation and you're looking at getting a lot of property and building a business around it, then you should look at outsourcing from day one. Whatever you can outsource uh, will give you time back that you can focus on growing the business, on, on thinking about what are the strategies you're going to implement to make sure you get more booking, you're getting um, the best rate out there. So the next question I think was, how do you identify what to outsource? I think that was the next one. Now, when you look at your business, you need to have a process map of what happened in your business. So whether you get inquiry, what happens to the inquiry, what happens then if it becomes a booking, what happened if this day, what happened if it goes. So if you have a whole process map of how your business is running, you then look at what activity out of there that is repeated, but doesn't have, need to be you who can do it. Anybody else could do it. So it's, it's something that can be easily done by somebody else and not yourself. Once you identify those, so for example, thing you can look at when you get an inquiry, uh, let's say it's coming by email, somebody needs to look at it and send a quote out. Now, if you could automate this or out, automate it by using maybe your channel manager, or if you could automate it in terms of using an outsourcer who can take the email and then respond, then that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but also with outsourcing, you can provide a level of service, which is amazing because it's a personal response. It's somebody answering. Um, so it's, it's a service that you're going to give that's gonna, never going to match an automated system uh, where it's pretty much a template that is, you know, been fed in and fed out. <laughs> um, if you're looking at using virtual assistants and things like that, that's another way of looking at you are delivering exceptional service. Um, so yeah, so you could do that. Um, but there's many process taking payment. Um, so for example, the one that I mentioned earlier, uh, monitoring the linen count. Um, so the, the, the cleaner reports the linen use, the VA put a spreadsheet together, collect them every week. So we know by the end of the delivery day, how many we should have and how many uh, has been washed and turned back. And, and same with the cleaning products, yeah. how many products can use it. These little things that take a lot of time, but can be done by anybody else, can easily outsource. So I would say outsource from day one if you're planning to make this your business and scale it up. Yeah. Another two questions. So there was yeah, there was a sort of mixture of questions in there, but the only other part of it was how many properties do you think make a viable income to be able to start spending on outsourcing? But you're saying do it from day one if you want to keep getting more, aren't you really? But Yes, um, the, from day one because you can spend a lot more time on more important things. Let's assume um, you don't, uh, you have more time to spend on the business. So you could delay it for a little bit longer, but you have to be very careful that you don't get consume within that running that operation that you find it even harder than to come out of it so that's why i say start from the beginning because it's much easier when you don't have a lot to outsource uh, but when you have a lot of job to outsource then it becomes more difficult because uh, it's one finding the right person then see how they're working and and if you're giving them a lot of tasks they're more likely to get it wrong but if you're gradually growing with them it's much easier yeah. um, so that's why i say start as soon as possible rather than later but if you're thinking about, okay, the cost of it, 
realistically, if you're using a virtual assistant from Philippines, you're paying from about $3 an hour to about $6 an hour. Now, you know, that is what, £4 something, if it's £6 an hour. So, you know, it's not a lot of money if you compare it to obviously employing somebody. So you could do that pretty much at the beginning of your journey, your property journey and use your time to do more research and making sure you have more time to be able to get the best deal out there and do things that are maybe generating more income for you. So for example, you can start your call to call company in your areas, making calls to be able to build up relationship with the company so you can get booking from them. So you could concentrate on things like that rather than you know doing some of the less important things in your yeah. business. And all the admin, and yeah, <laughs> you can get consumed in it. And I think you're right, if you do it from the beginning, you can get your processes mapped out, can't you? And start getting your VAs trained. It's all really exciting, I think, having a VA. It's great. They learn so much and they become part of your team. I think it's fab. It's really yeah, good. So, thank you for that. And really, I think we'll finish on one final question, which might be quite tricky. Um, what's the single most important piece of advice you'd give all SA providers right now? Right now, um, I would say right now, it's very important for you to be understanding the market you're in and how it's changing. Uh, so when I was saying earlier, I'm still not getting my head around how, what market is in my area. That is because I'm constantly trying to understand it and you need to be doing that. You need to understand who is still coming to your area. You need to understand um, who are your competitors, who are leaving the market, who are still coming into the market because there's still people getting new properties and yes. starting in SA. Um, so there's still a lot of money to be made from SA, but you need to understand your market and look for opportunities in your market. So when I was talking about what else could you do in your property uh, to be able to target maybe slightly different people because now is where you're going to have this shift where a lot of people are now going to stay in the UK rather than going outside the UK. That's already happened. We've seen that over the summer. We've seen where people were suddenly making more than they ever made before because everybody was so desperate to have some sort of holiday, including me. <laughs> some sort of holiday. And, um, you know, and we're all fighting for one place because there's not a lot of properties for all UK people to go on holiday. Um, so a lot of people were charging a lot more. So look at what you can do to be able to maximize and also look at diversifying. I think that's very, very important. I think if one thing that um, this whole COVID-19 have taught all of us is to make sure that you're diversifying your business and you're able to get different type of income so that if one side of your business has suffered with coronavirus or anything else, because, uh, you know, government regulation, a lot of things can affect your business. So having some sort of diversification or different type of income will ensure that overall your, your business or your commitment you've made because of the profit you're making from your business is not affected that much. Good, yeah. So you're mitigating your risk, aren't you? And seeing who you can really attract. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anisha. It's brilliant to hear more from you and find out how you got started and everything um, thank you so much for having me it's you know it's a real pleasure to be there and celebrating 100 episodes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's fab <laughs> oh so it's been really well been you know 
being consistent and still delivering it and get to 100 if load is amazing. Well, there's a lot goes on in SA. There's a lot to talk about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So huge thanks for joining us. I'm sure everyone would be really grateful for your time and all your insights. So that's brilliant. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you, Sally. Excellent. See you soon. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Sharing the secrets of success.